We are in part five of our study, The Art of Spiritual Warfare. And last week, if you remember, we began to look at the weapons of our warfare. And we discovered that these weapons are not of this earth. They're not of the flesh. They're spirit. It's a totally different realm. And we discovered that these weapons are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Strongholds which the enemy goes and erects and constructs all around us. Uh, whether, whatever it is in your life and these strongholds that he's bringing against you, the trials, the tribulations, the issues in marriages that arise. You think about the lust of the flesh idolatry and covetousness, and he just goes on and on. He builds these strongholds around us. We were told by the Apostle Paul, these weapons have the power against these strongholds to literally take them down. Well, in looking at the list of weapons that Paul gives us in Ephesians 6, we discovered that there was one particular weapon that stood above all the rest. There was one that was given special preeminence among all the weapons. And that was the shield of faith. This is a weapon that we're told it will quench everything the adversary throws at you. Everything that the adversary has. All those strongholds, all those various things, those trials and tribulations, no matter what he does, no matter what he brings against you, this can dispel it. This can tear it down. There's a reason Paul gave this specific weapon Such a high standard, such a lofty place, if you will, at the table. Well, today I want to open up, building upon this, again, continuing to give special preeminence to this particular weapon. I want to build upon this by looking at a story. And actually, we're going to look at a couple of stories. But the first one is the star of this story is a woman. And she's not known by name other than she's called the Shunammite woman. And I'm going to tell you, ladies, you're going to want to pay very, very close attention to this story. Men as well. But it's such a powerful thing. I figured I'd throw this in here because of how... It's one of the most powerful stories in all of the scriptures for me. And the star of it is a woman. It just speaks volumes on the kind of women that we want to cultivate in the community, in the body of the Messiah, Yeshua. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're going to begin at verse 8. And this is what we read. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman. And I'm going to highlight this, notable woman. In the Hebrew, Isha Gadolah. Isha Gadolah. In other words, Gadol in Hebrew is great. And I want you to understand what the writer is. Now keep in mind, this wasn't written contemporaneously, meaning in real life. Okay, real life, uh, as you're going through the cycle, it's written at that same period. No, it was written in hindsight. And this is very important because the writer identifies the Shunammite woman as an Isha Gadolah. She is great. This is a great woman. And not just that she is great in the faith. She is a titan of the faith. And so already we just begin this story and we know a large portion of the story already. We already know her character Okay, well, it continues, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. 
And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. In verse 10, please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Now, we actually get this confirmation of this Isha Gadolah, of why she is a great woman. Look at her character. Look at her integrity. Look at her wisdom. Look at her understanding. Look at her discernment. She recognized a man of God. She knew a man of God when she saw him. And she didn't just sit there. She moved. She moved in righteousness to prepare for him. You think about... uh, those words that Yeshua speaks in Matthew 10. Uh, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. (laughs) You're going to see by the time we get to the end of this story, she is going to receive a prophet's reward. Her character is beautiful. She is going out. She has the heart for the God of Israel. And she has chosen to love those things that the God of Israel loves. And in this case, Elisha the prophet. She truly is an Ishaka Dola. She's a great woman of faith. Now, as the story continues, we're going to discover that Elisha, because of all this kindness that she has shown him, he wants to repay her. He recognizes this woman has went way out of her way to make sure we have been cared for. So he's as he's uh, uh, he's thinking about what to do for this woman. His assistant, his servant, Gehazi, says, well, Elisha, she has no son. Well, Elisha thinks in him to himself, he's like, that, that's a good idea. I think this is where we'll go. And what happens? She calls, he calls the woman, tells her to come, and he tells her, woman, this time next year, you are going to embrace a son. Now, the way she responds was very, very conservatively. She said, no, Lord, do not say such things. Do not lie to your servant. See, the Shunammite woman was barren. She had no children. And you know as well as I do that when you get into Bible times, and even times not that long ago, and even among some people today, a woman who has no children, whose desires to have children, is looked upon with reproach, almost to the point of shame. That women have this innate desire given by God to, to have children. And when that's inhibited, it's devastating. And so here Elisha lays this out for, despite how old your husband are, despite the fact that you're barren, you will embrace a son this time next year. And it is so overwhelming to her. Well, what happens? It happens exactly how Elisha said it would. She, that time, exact time when he said, she conceives and she embraces a son. But then the son begins to grow, becomes a young boy, and something happens to him. We don't know exactly, the text isn't explicit, but it says as he was with his father, he went to his father and he cries out, Father, Father, my head, my head. And so the father sends him back to his mom, back to the Shunammite woman. And eventually he dies basically in her arms, at, at her feet. The, the, the boy passes on. And this is where the story gets really, really interesting because the woman doesn't respond the way you might think she would respond. In fact, what she does next is going to make you marvel. It will bring you to awe. This is what we read in verse 21. 
And she went up and laid him on the bed, meaning her dead son on the bed of the man of God, Elisha, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I might run to the man of God and come back. Verse 23. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. Try to wrap your mind around that. Her son is dead. She knows it. She lays her son on the bed of Elisha and she goes to her husband. She doesn't tell him. She does not tell him our son is dead. No, she tells him, I'm going to go to the man of God. Give me a donkey. Send someone with me. I want to go to the man of God. And guess what? The husband knows something's going on. He knows something's going on. Look at what it says here. Why are you going to him today? It's not the Shabbat. It's not the new moon. So he's inquiring. May he even be inquiring, was there something wrong with their son? And maybe, but he doesn't know his son is dead. He's not sure what to make out of this. How does she respond? Why are you going to him? Keep in mind, she knows her son's dead. How does she respond to her husband? She says this, it is well. It is well. I can't try to get your mind wrapped around that statement. She knows her son is dead. And she tells her husband, not that he's dead, she tells her husband, it is well. Don't worry about it. He's inquiring. You know, when I read what she does here, it tells me one thing. It tells me what I realized with Job last week. This woman is armed to the teeth. Her hands, you think about her hands, have been trained to no war. She is operating on a completely different level than everyone else. She's on a whole different level, period. She grabs her shield. You think about what's happening here. She chose to grab the shield of faith and to rise up in battle. And instead of retreating, she advances. And look at her advance as we get to verse 24. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, verse 26, Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? It's amazing this instinct that Elisha has for the fact that she is coming to him to where he is. He, like the husband, knows something's up. So he asks, is it okay with your husband? Is your husband okay? Are you okay? Is your child okay? Very, very specific. How does the Shunammite respond? And she answered, it is well. It is well. This is not normal. Normal people would say, Elisha, no, everything's horrible. My life has crumbled before me. I'm in pain and in sorrow. My son is gone. She doesn't say that. She says, it is well. She has lifted her shield of faith. You think about Proverbs 18.21. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. 
And she spoke these words, not just to speak them, because they sound right, and it sounds really faithful, so I'm going to say them. She said it as well, because she believed it. There is a difference. There's a massive difference. This is, this, is, this is a story that we've got to allow to sink deep down into our hearts. When I look at this woman, I see a woman whose faith is greater than her fears. I see a woman whose faith is greater than her trials, greater than her tribulations, greater than her pain and her sorrow. I see a woman whose faith can literally move mountains. You think about it. Her faith can move mountains. Well, as we continue, we're going to see this literally happen. We're going to see mountains, things in her life which look immovable, that are presented before her. They're going to crumble into the sea. And verse 27, Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone... Now listen to this, for her soul is in deep distress. I want to stop here, because this is one of the most integral components to this entire story. This shows that this is real life. This shows that when she said it is well, she didn't need to be committed to a psych ward. It's because her child's dying. She goes down, skipping down the road. Oh, it is well. Telling everybody it's well. It's fine. My life's hunky-dory. It's fine. Husband of mine. Life is fine. It is all well. You know, our son just died. It's totally fine. This component here brings it to the reality. Brings it to the realness of life. He recognizes she is in pain. She is in sorrow. We need to reckon to truly appreciate what it took for her to say, to go and say, it is well. You need to see this. She inside is crushed. She has lost her son. He goes on, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. In verse 28, so she said, did I not ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. Verse 32. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. I want you to look. What did we talk about last week when we went to James? We, we talked about that the prayer of faith will save the sick. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much to where the blind can see, to where the deaf can hear, to where the dead are literally raised. That's the power of the shield of faith. See, but this story's bigger than just that. What did we learn last week with the Spartans and how when they made their battle formation, they stepped up to the battle line and they interlocked their shields. You want to see how awesome this story is? Do you realize what has happened here? The Shunammite woman moved to the front of the battle with her shield. She interlocked her shield with Elisha. This is unbelievable. They together moved in faith. 
They moved in the battle. Why did the, why did the Shunammite woman go to Elisha? Because she believed in the God of Israel and she knew what he could do. She moved in faith. And then what does Elijah do? He draws up to the front of the battle line, he locks his shield in with the Shunammite woman, and he goes in faith. That's the power of the shields of faith. That's the power of what happens when we get together. You understand when Paul says, God works all things together for good to those who know and love God. That's the power of unity. That's the power of the body of Mashiach. Amen? Powerful. Going on in verse 34. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child. And the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked, uh, and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Verse 36. And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came into him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. The dead has been raised. Mountains have been moved into the sea. Things that we couldn't even fathom, they happened. I want you to think about especially women, I want you to think about how this woman, this particular Shunammite woman, affected her house. For you women out there, you have the supreme power to bring blessing and honor, glory and power upon your home. That's exactly what happened in this story. She was a woman who moved in righteousness, a woman who moved in faith, and blessings were poured out on her entire household. Obviously on her son, but not just that, on her husband. You have the power. Satan wants to tell you, you don't. Because I know our faith in Yeshua can do anything. There's nothing that can prohibit it. There's nothing that can stand in the way. How many of you, women, men alike, are sitting in a situation today where you feel that you have strongholds, where you feel you have immovable mountains that have been erected all around you, and they just don't seem to be moving? We need to remember, according to Scripture, according to the truth that is in our Lord Yeshua, we can move mountains. We need to believe. You know, Yeshua says in Matthew 21, if whatever we pray, believing, that we will receive. It's not just mere words coming out of our mouth to, to, to listen to ourselves talk. It's because we, 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 we believe, therefore we speak, as the Scriptures say. That's the truth of it. But if you're going to want to move mountains, you're going to have to pick up that shield. You're going to have to cry, it is well. 1 John 5, 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. What gives us the victory? Why is the Apostle Paul giving preeminence to the shield of faith? Because that's what gains the victory. That is how we are going to overcome all the odds. 
all the cards that are stacked against us, it is through our faith. Read this war manual. Spend time sowing these things into your heart. I promise you, it will increase your faith. The more we hear from God, the more we believe. Amen? It's just the truth. Now, looking at this, our faith is what overcomes the world, but faith in what? We continue. Verse 5. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Yeshua is the Son of God? Okay, so the faith, the shield of faith, as I mentioned before, the shield of faith should be called the shield of faith in Yeshua. It all goes back to the rock of Israel. It all goes back to the Son of God. Our faith in the Son of God. Going back to the power of the resurrection. That's where our faith has power. It is in Him. You're right. We can't do anything. In and of ourselves, we can't move a molehill. But through Yeshua, we know anything is possible. That's why Yeshua says, with God, all things are possible. I want to take you to the Torah. I want to take you to the book of Numbers. We're going to look at another story. As we get to Numbers, the the Lord is preparing the children of Israel to go into the land. And what's interesting is when you really step back and you look at what the Lord is doing, And what is really going on? You discover that the Lord is actually preparing them for war. He's preparing them to go in the land. He is preparing them for war. And look at what we read in Numbers 13, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moshe, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Now, notice the descriptors that are being used here. The terms. He sent men to go what? To go spy out the land. These are spies. This is the art of war. You send spies when you are in the art of war. This is the whole concept that we covered with the OSS. A spy agency created for the purpose to go behind enemy lines. Reconnaissance. This is what's happening here. So we can already see this is a war environment. send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord. All of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. So here Moses, he, he does as the Lord commands. He sends these spies out. They do as they're told. They go behind enemy lines. They acquire secret intel in regard to this promised land. Well, as we get to verse 25, the spies report back the findings. They share this intel. And this is what we read. And they returned from spying out the land uh, after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moshe and Aharon and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Verse 27. Then they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Now, why is this an amazing statement? It's very important you understand that 
going back to the time when they were still in bondage in Egypt, when Aaron and Moses first came onto the scene, what did they say? The Lord wants to bring you to a good land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Critical. They were already told this, and here they are. The spies go out and to see exactly, it is exactly what the Lord said it would be. Now, you need to put this into context, that everything that we have read regarding the kingdom of God, that we have been shown, that Yeshua spoke in His ministry, there's components of it revealed. Rest assured, is exactly how He said it is. Just as we see here, it's exactly what they were told. And there's evidence. They bring fruit back. The land flowing with milk and honey The problem is, that's not all that they saw. They didn't just see that the land was flowing with milk and honey. They saw something else. And as we go into verse 28, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So we discover these spies, they share all this secret intel in, regarding, uh, in regard to the reality of the situation of the land. Yes, 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 the land is flowing with milk and honey, but unfortunately the inhabitants of the land, they're a problem. The inhabitants of the land are established. They are, militarily speaking, they are fortified. They are powerful. They are stronger than us. In other words, they're they're conveying to the children of Israel, we go up, we try to take the land, we're all going to die. We're all going to fail. We cannot do it. It's suicide. Kind of makes you think, what what were they expecting? And this is very important, you listen to me. What were the children of Israel expecting when they were to go into the land? Were they expecting just to waltz into the land and to see these old, decrepit people with no fortified cities that are completely unarmed, that have no weapons? I mean, could you imagine Israel going in? uh, Hello, inhabitants of the land. Uh, We're we're the children of Israel. So nice to meet you. Don't know if you heard about us, but uh, our God has brought us into this land, and I'm not sure if he informed you or not, but... uh, you're actually, this land is ours. If you could just go ahead and, you know, pick up your stuff. or No, 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 no. Leave your valuables with us. Go ahead and relocate to another land. Uh, your cooperation would be much appreciated. If you have any questions, let us know. Shabbat shalom. <laughs> you, you laugh. You think about what I just said because I'm going somewhere with this. I have a point to the silliness that I'm presenting to you. The expectation. The expectation. What were they expecting to see? Why is this important? I'm going to tell you why it's important. Because if you want to understand what the children of Israel were being confronted with right here, it is exactly what each and every one of us are confronted with in our own lives. How many times do Christians come into the faith with the expectation of, we're just going to waltz right into the kingdom of God? There's going to be no war. There's going to be no trials, no tribulations. We're not going to have to overcome anything. We're just going to tell all the inhabitants of the land, just relocate. They're all old and decrepit. We'll make this just a seamless transaction. I want you to think about that reality. There's far too many people who are giving in 
to the dictates, to the teachings, to the philosophies, to the influence of the ten spies. When we think about people coming into the faith and the faith of Yeshua, they're not told, you're going to war. You're going to have to go take the land, but you're going to war. That's not what we're told today. I'm going to tell you something. As you move toward the kingdom of God, as your life progresses in faith in Yeshua, Satan is going to attempt to get you to focus on those things that appear to be impossible to conquer. He's going to try to intimidate you, telling you that the things that in your life are just too strong. He's going to try to encourage you to give up, to discourage you, to just turn back to surrender. Exactly what I see him doing in this story. And you better make no mistake, this whole story, again, is a training manual. This is a war manual warning us what it will take for us to get into the kingdom of God. That's what this story is. There is going to be war. The key component here, another very, very important principle. If in your life you are focusing more on your trials, on your tribulations your testings, then you are in the victory that you have in Yeshua, you are retreating. You have laid down your shield of faith no matter what you think you're doing. If you are focusing more on the pain and the suffering rather than coming out like the Shunammite woman overcoming and say, doesn't matter, this stuff is real. I am in real pain. I have real wars in my life, but it is well focusing on the victory. Unless you focus on the victory, you'll fall. We've got to focus on the victory. Well, how does Caleb, what is his focus? Look at how Caleb responds to the whole uh, testimony they gave. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses, because obviously there's a huge uproar. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Keep something in mind. Caleb saw everything that they saw. Caleb and Joshua knew exactly what they saw. On a fleshly level, they knew they were outgunned. They're not fools. They knew they were stronger. They knew they were fortified. But they also knew what? They knew the promise of God. They knew the promises of God. Caleb and Joshua picked up the shields of faith. They interlocked their shields and they're ready to go to war against the face of all adversity. Because why? They were focused on victory. They were focused on what God had promised. For us believers, if we do not start focusing on what God promised, we are going to fall. We are going to come to a point where Satan is going to wear us out. Because we need to live in this life in the promises of God. So how do these men of Israel respond to these reports? In verse 31, But the men who had gone up with him said, These are the ten spies, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Verse 33, look at what they say. There we saw the giants, in the Hebrew, the Nephilim. They saw the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. 
And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So here we have these naysayers. They come and overrule Caleb and basically tell him that, listen people, Caleb, Joshua, they're nuts. These people are insane. There's Nephilim in the land, people. This is a no-brainer. We're grasshoppers. We don't stand a chance. Isn't it fascinating that what's recorded in this story, the thing that stands between Israel, so Israel stands in between Israel and getting into the land is the Nephilim. Why is that fascinating to me? Because today it is the same. We are dealing with the descendants of the Nephilim. We are dealing with evil spirits standing in between us, entering into the kingdom of God. We are standing between fallen angels. Angels are in between us and the kingdom of God. You think about the sheer strength, the sheer power of these evil spirits, the sheer size. Flesh to spirit, we don't stand a chance against them. We cannot overcome them. Any question is, is just read your Bible and how often you see that Satan brought someone into bondage and they couldn't do a thing about it because they don't have the power. The power rests in the faith. And that is in the faith in Yeshua. And this is a faith that Caleb had. This is the faith that Joshua had. They were more than conquerors. So how does this message and this bad report, if you will, how does this affect the children of Israel? Did it take root, or did they listen to Caleb? Well, let's see, Numbers 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. The sad component here is they believed the ten spies. They rejected Caleb's wisdom, rejected the faith, and they believed the lie. And what a valuable lesson for us today. We need to understand that as we are pressing in to take possession of the land, as we're pressing in to receive our inheritance into the kingdom of God, Satan is going to sow discord amongst our ranks. He is going to sow despair. He is going to sow discouragement. We cannot allow Satan to do what we've seen him do in this generation to Israel. We can't allow it. We have got to stand up and we've got to fight. And we move, we fight in faith. Moving on to verse 2, we continue. And all the children of Israel complained. So this news has moved them to start complaining against Moses and Aaron. These are the leaders. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness... Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Now I ask you, does this sound familiar? I mean, at all. What just happened here? I'll tell you. Satan came against Israel, and he played the exact same mind games that we saw him play on Job last week. Same games. Do you remember what Satan's goal was with Job? What did he want to get Job to do? Didn't he want to get him to curse God? 
Well, let's look at this. Let me highlight this. Very first three. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? They're saying God only brought us out here to kill us. Satan just won this battle. He got them to do what he wanted them to do, to curse their God. And when you curse God, what do you do? You abandon him. Well, interestingly enough, let us select a leader in return to Egypt. You see, we look at the strategy of the enemy. His tactics may change. The goal is always the same. The goal is always the same. Get us to abandon the Lord. Get us to give up. Get us to give in. When we look at this story, what should we be taking away from this? Be very, very careful who you allow to speak into your life. I mean, there's a moral here. Be very, very careful who you allow to speak in your life. Israel, when we look at this, Israel allowed the ten spies to speak into their life. Don't underestimate the power of influence. Don't underestimate the power of words. Again, life and death and the power of the tongue. There is a valuable principle in regard to warfare that we want to follow. And this principle is actually found in the Torah in Deuteronomy 20. And the whole passage, the construct of it, is, is, is giving uh, commands in regard to what they should do and what they shouldn't do when they go to war. It is something that applies to us this very day. Look at what it says, Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. The officers shall speak further to the people and say, what, men is there who is, what man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. Don't you think about that? In other words, what it's saying is, is if a man is fearful in battle, take that man out of the battle formation. Because if he stays, it will have a dramatic effect on the rest of the troops the very same effect that the ten spies had on Israel. You allow fear and discouragement to be sown among soldiers, and those soldiers will begin to retreat. That's what happens. And the moral of this is be careful who you allow to sow into your life. Be careful who you go out to war with. Amen? If you stand with men who promote fear, who promote despair, sowing discouragement... They're given to the lust of the flesh. You will be brought to desolation. Over and over, I could give you many scriptures. I'll just give you one. But Proverbs 12, 26, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Take it to the bank. The people, you know, birds of a feather, you've heard that? It's true. It's a biblical fact. Choose your friends carefully. This is what I was getting at last week, man. I'm telling you, you want to surround yourself by men who believe that healings are real for today. I don't want anyone praying for me that believed the gifts of the Spirit stopped in the first century. Don't bother praying for me. The people I want praying for me believe that when, when, when God brought His people out, He parted the Red Sea. They believe in Pentecost where tongues of fire rang down. And the name of Yeshua was glorified. They believe the dead can be raised, the blind can see, the deaf can hear. Anything less than that, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear what you have to say in regard to faith. I want to surround myself with Bible-believing believers. That's it. This is where we're at. This is where the war is won. It is on the level of faith. Continuing on in the story, we just got a little bit left here. 
we're going to cover. But Yehoshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Yephuneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land, if the Lord delights in us. Now there is a message of salvation here, a principle of salvation we need to pick up on. It's not here by accident. He says, if, and this is consistent throughout the Bible, if the Lord delights in who we are, we will enter into the promised land. And this goes back to walking in the commandments of the Lord. This goes back to paying homage, to literally having our faith made complete through obedience. And not deceiving ourselves and tell us that it doesn't really matter to God if we do that. It doesn't matter if we really fulfill this. Uh, you know, he's a sovereign, forgiving God. But no, your heart is, I'm going to go out and please the Lord. This is not legalistic. I don't want you to get into legalism and Phariseeism. We start focusing on the commandments of men and all of this stuff, and it all looks religious and it all looks pious. I'm talking, just do what pleases the Lord so that we can enter into the land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Now, what is rebellion? Well, you go to 1 Samuel 15, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, but what is it? We go to Isaiah 30. This is a rebellious people, a children who will not hear the law of the Lord. That's the very definition of rebellion. Who will not hear his voice. And we know what's his voice. Deuteronomy 27, Deuteronomy 28. The voice of the Lord, the law, is his voice. We need to hear from his voice. So he says, do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. We are not to fear the people of the land. We think of this, bring it into today's context. There's a lot of reason to fear in the flesh. People are getting their heads cut off. That's not hyperbole. We look at what is happening with the rise of terrorism all over the globe. Do not fear. I love what Yeshua says in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those that can kill the body. Fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Our fear must be in God alone. And I love what is said next. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. You think about all the things that are happening, all the violence, the slayings, the killings, the attack on Jewish people. Constant attacks. Violent, vicious attacks against the Jewish people. Let me tell you something. We can rise up and say, these people that are doing this, you are our bread. One day, we will walk over your corpses. And that is the truth. We will have victory because the God of Israel said we will take the land. Period. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. That statement makes the whole enchilada. That's everything. It all rests. The Lord is with us. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is war. Whose side are we on? The Lord's. If we are on the Lord's side, we cannot lose. Victory is imminent. It's only a matter of time where it's realized. So here we just find Joshua and Caleb. They raise their shields of faith in the face of all adversity. 
Despite seeing the Nephilim, despite seeing the fortified cities, they walked by faith and not by sight. And this is what I love about them. In their minds, they already won. It's the most important thing for us as believers living in the generation we live in. In their mind, they had already won the war. There's an old Chinese proverb out of the art of war from Sun Zhu. And it speaks to this very thing. I want to share it with you because it's a very, very powerful concept. And keep in mind, the whole book is about the art of war, how to win warfare. He notes something about warriors, about victorious warriors that I want to sink down. This is what he says. Victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. You think about that wisdom. That is a biblical fact. True, godly warriors, they win first. And then they go into the land. This is what Caleb and Joshua did. They first won in their minds. They said, the promise of God are sure. If He delights us, we're going to have victory. They already won in their hearts. They just needed to go take it. Think about this principle. I want you to think about it. We boil it all down. It boils down to this. There is no taking the land without war. It's what this whole, all numbers 13 going into 14, it all boils down to there is no taking the land without war. And for us today as believers, as we come into faith in Yeshua, it doesn't end. It only begins. We're not getting into the kingdom of heaven without war. It, would, it requires from us war to fight. I want to close with this statement and run it into a verse. Douglas MacArthur, five-star general in the U.S. military, uh, he says this, It is fatal to enter a war without the will to win it. And I'll tell you, it is fatal to enter into the faith of Yeshua without the will to endure. To go all the way, to persevere in the faith. I mean, you're looking at these statements of war. These were generals. These were people who were immersed in war and they understood specific principles that guided in war, that ruled in war. Don't bother. MacArthur, he knew. Don't bother going into war if you don't have the will to win it because they know when they come up against trials and tribulations against the adversity of the enemy, they're running or they're holding their guns up and saying, we give in, we give up. They'll start waving the white flag. We'll close with this verse, 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-one. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. You wonder where Paul, why Paul would, would literally grab the principle of faith and apply it to the imagery of a shield? He didn't just concoct that out of thin air. It comes from the Tanakh. It comes from passages in Psalms. It comes from this passage in 2 Samuel. He becomes a shield to those who put their faith in Him. We have to put our faith in Him. Everyone rise. We're going to do our battle cry. Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God, it is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save your very lives. And we all read, Today 
We will go to war. We will not fear. We will not faint. We will not give in to the flesh. And we will not give in to our enemies. Today we will stand and we will fight. And we will conquer through the might of our Lord Yeshua. And let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer and the music team can come up. Lord Yeshua, we... uh, We come to You in Your mighty name, calling upon Your name in faith. And Lord, we cry out for You to increase our faith. Every one of us that is in this room, Lord, whatever measure we have, make it a hundredfold. You said if we have faith as a mustard seed, we will move mountains. Lord, we want to be hands and feet of the Messiah Yeshua, ambassadors of the King of Israel to the world, shedding light, being salt. And we can't do it apart from You, Lord. We know any strength that we have, any victory we have, it rests upon Your authority, Your wisdom, and Your redemptive work that You committed at the cross. And the fact that the Father rose You from the grave. And it is in that that we trust, Lord. It is in You. And we pray that You continue to pour out Your Spirit on this community Let us be humble in your sight, Lord. Just strip off the impurities, Lord. Strip off the cares of the world that are in our heart, Lord. Strip them out and leave nothing but spirit left, nothing but the Ruach HaKodesh, so that we can move in love and move in power. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen.